And welcome to Sunday Coffee here in downtown Starkville, Mississippi at the Southeastern Sports Group Studios. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Josh Lovelady, former Bulldog catcher, going to join us this morning as well. And, Josh, I tell you this, man, the last two guys we had on the, that joined us on Sunday Coffee, one was Stephen Augustinelli. He runs Six Pack Speak. The other is Robbie Falk. Robbie got his own show now. So, I mean, this is really a good stepping stone for you. I don't think you understand just how good that you have it this morning and what an honor it is for you to be sitting here with us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Obviously, anytime we can talk about the upcoming season and what can happen for the Bulldogs, it's uh, it's going to be a really fun time for us. So. Charlie Winfield joins us as well. Charlie, we're now at the two-week mark of college baseball season, two weeks from right now. State will be out in Arlington, Texas, playing the third and final game of that three-game tournament set. And So now coming into the season, we saw some rule changes that really came out yesterday. We have scrimmages going on. We're in full-out baseball mode right now. Yeah, it's that time, right? I hope, by the way, that Josh had his sarcasm meter turned on when he came in here with you to start the morning. I'm guessing that he did. Uh, yeah, but it's baseball time, right? And all of a sudden, we're kind of seeing the last scrimmages and words starting to kind of speculate as to who's not only going to be starting in positions, but about who's going to be hitting where in the order and who's going to be pitching on Friday and Saturday and Who's going to be your long reliever? All those things. It's you know, it's really starting to get to the time now where not so much you're wondering what your pieces are, but you're wondering where those pieces are going to fit. And is there ever a happier time for baseball fans than right before the season? I mean, this is the time everybody thinks they got a chance. In the big leagues, we all got a shot at the pennant right now. Yeah, everybody thinks they've got a great staff. Everybody thinks that they're deep. This is going to be the year we turn it around. And they're saying that in Columbia, Missouri – they're saying it in Starkville. They're saying it in Fayetteville. They're saying it in Oxford and Tuscaloosa, everywhere. Everybody's saying it right now. Here's in Columbia, the th- they need to be saying when they're going to build a stadium that's actually a college stadium before they start worrying about having a college baseball team. But I'll leave that alone for now. No, it's all about making the, the opponent uncomfortable. They feel like they're in junior high, and so they try to lull you to sleep in Columbia. And that, that's, that's the issue there. Josh, looking back at your career and looking back at, at those preseason scrimmages, what are coaches trying to figure out? I mean, do they put the team A versus team B? I mean, what's going through your mind as you're trying to, you know, you, you've made the ball club. I mean, it's not like spring training in Major League Baseball where you're trying to make the club. You, you know you're on the team, but what's it like, uh, you know, leading up to the season and everybody's trying to jockey for position? I think you really have to look at most everybody knows to an extent who's going to be where, obviously, the first weekend. But in essence, when we're doing scrimmages and stuff like that, I think the lineups are kind of jumbled up each day. As you get closer to really your first game, then you can kind of notice, hey, they're putting guys in these spots because in preparation for the first weekend. But really, uh, when you're preparing for opening weekend, um, you know, it's a mental state of – Okay, I know I'm going to be here, but opening weekend is going to be more of kind of a test run for everybody. Uh, it's interesting. In the past, you can look. First couple weekends, maybe the same guys out there, but if somebody's struggling, you may jumble them up, so to speak. So I really think the preseason is for, number one, the guys you're going to run out there on the mound, trying to get them confidence. Obviously, when you get into the season, the confidence can go south pretty quickly with one outing or one inning. But, you know, I think for – 
like my position as a catcher, you're preparing for the long haul of, hey, I've got to catch 65 games this year. What do I need to do to get my body ready for that? And really, there's really not a good way to prepare for that. Um, but because you're going to get tired, you're going to be worn out halfway through. But um, you just want to do things to prepare. Um, and then, you know, if you're trying to lead young guys, you want to try to get them prepared for what's at stake if they've never played in a college season. So, Josh, you know, we talked last week with Ben McDonald. Well, this past week on our show, Out of Left Field, Charlie and I do a show each week. I know you're – Ben McDonald brought up a point last week to to us, who, and he said this year is going to be a little bit different from a standpoint of coming out of the fall. You know, all you guys play baseball in the summer and had summer reps. And so what that led to is if you had a guy that pitched a complete season and then he went to the Cape and then he threw some innings on the Cape – and you come in in the fall, your starting rotation guys didn't throw as much in the fall as some of your down-the-line guys. You just try to want to develop some things and get them some work. But this year is a little bit different. Since you didn't have the cape, a lot of your front-line guys, like a Christian McLeod, an Eric Sarantola, you know, a Bednar, Landon Sims, all those guys are getting a lot of quality innings in scrimmages in the fall. What that leads to is hitters being ahead. As a catcher, I mean, I know you were a, you were a catcher and a very good catcher. But one of the things I look back at at your career, and I'm not trying to you know get you on the show next week and talk so good about you, but it was the cerebral part of how you pitched to guys early in the season, and you may not had to be as fine as a pitcher early in the season because pitching was so far ahead of the hitting. How do you see this year being different? I mean, how do you see because the hitting is going to be a little bit better early in the season this year than it has been in years past? Well, I think different from years past, like you're saying, is everybody's going to be on somewhat of an even playing field because now you got to get adjusted to hitters getting back in the box if you're on the mound. Um, But, you know, really in preparation for that, uh, you know, used to, like back when I played when we were pitching early in the year, you could get away with a lot of things because obviously hitters need at bats. And we're not talking about inner squad at bats because an at bat in a real game, whether it be in the SEC or non conference, is completely different um, in terms of your emotion and, and your adrenaline. So I think this year is going to be different because number one, we used to call it the honeymoon phase where it's that month before when you're finally on the field with everybody and you're preparing. Now you've been doing that for a year because you haven't played because of COVID. So I, I think that the hardest part, if you're looking at playing after being off a year, is going to be trying to control your emotions because uh, obviously if you're an emotional pitcher, so to speak, and you're on the mound and everything is adrenaline, 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 well, the ball is going to stay up in the zone. That's where the hitters come into play. I, I just think that it's going to be a fun year because uh, all these guys are so excited. I just think as a player you've got to go in and, and preach to yourself and to others that, hey, we want to be excited. There's going to be some nerves, but we've got to control our emotions if we want to play well. Well, and you start to figure out, too, who your fall Americans are, right? The guys who uh, could just dominate in September and October. Because, look, it's different, and we've seen that particularly at the pitching spot. We, I mean, I can come up with examples all over the field, but I can't tell you how many times we've had a guy who you've heard, boy, this guy's stuff is incredible, it's incredible. Particularly young guys you expect so much of and the ones who are highly recruited. 
And then all of a sudden you're standing on the mound, and that's a Vanderbilt player standing in the box. World's a little different at that point. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Charlie. Because and it's not just in in baseball; it's in it's in football too. I mean, how many times in spring practice do you have this one guy that everybody talks about? Man, this guy's gonna be great. He, he's <laughs> the maroon white game MVP. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing that ruined your career worse than standing out in the maroon white game. Absolutely. There's gonna be some receiver have ten catches, 150 yards, and not be on the roster. Yeah, and so you know, in this preseason camp as well. Man, this guy's looking really good. And then you look at baseball. Man, this guy went off to the Cape. He had a great year. I've seen guys get drafted three times, and I'm not gonna call names. I've seen guys get drafted three times off bullpen sessions. And they just could not, could not put it together when they got on the field. They had the look. They had the look in the bullpen. They had the stuff. But it's just a different mentality when you walk out there and, and, and grandmas are sitting in the stands. That's the difference. And, and there's, there's a fine line. And, you know, Bill Parcells, you like to talk about Bill Parcells all the time because you're a Cowboys guy and you talk incessantly about the Cowboys. But Bill Parcells had a comment of, you know, there are two types of players. There are game winners and there are game quitters. You remember that? Do you remember seeing that, the game winners and game quitters? And you can't tell the difference in practice. And you really can't tell until the lights come on and the game starts. And so you, you kind of wonder, not just, you know, I'm not talking about some of the guys we've got right now in camp. I'm just talking about all over college baseball. And you start reading these reports about everybody playing well. Charlie, yesterday I was, um, I was in Birmingham. My, my son is turning uh, – uh, having a birthday later this week. And so I took eight kids all between the ages of 9 and 11 to uh, to Top Golf yesterday in Birmingham. And so I wonder why you look so bad this morning. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of – I need the Lord this morning. It's, <laughs> it's, thank goodness it's Sunday. Um, I had a lot of pent-up frustration. So I did not have an opportunity to follow the scrimmage yesterday. And I know you followed, <clears throat> followed the scrimmage very closely yesterday, um, I was in a state of I want to hit something or hit a wall or something. But uh, looking at the yesterday scrimmage, anything kind of stand out to you over the last you know couple of scrimmages of really popping up? I know Sarantola pitched yesterday. Yeah, Sarantola pitched through really well, and you start to wonder, you know, where are you lining guys up in terms of where you're going to pitch them on the weekends, or is it too early to start thinking about that? I mean, do we read anything into the fact that? You know, on the Saturday scrimmage, Sarantola's throwing. I don't know. Josh, may, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. I think that, you know, it's somewhat of a trial run. You, you really – you do have to have a plan if you're if you're coaching. Hey, this is what we're going to start out with, um, you know. But you want to get a guy comfortable. If you're going to throw him on Saturdays and scrimmages, maybe I'll throw him on Saturdays first weekend because it's the same time. He knows what he's got to do to prepare for that start. Whereas if, if he's throwing Saturday scrimmages and then all of a sudden we put him on a, the first Friday night, it's a little different. It, it really is a completely different mindset for everybody, uh, That especially for preparation because those guys, I know you guys know starting pitchers, but they're a different breed. So they the way they prepare for a start is really an all-day affair. <laughs> so Yeah, they're kind of like wide receivers in football. I mean, they're, they're kind of a squirrely mentality, to be honest with you. Here's the question I, I want to ask you, Josh. And you mentioned made that mention about you know Sarantola pitching on Saturday, and the guys kind of got to get in a in a rhythm of when they're going to pitch. To me, 
you know, I just want to ask you from a player standpoint, you know, a guy who's been a Friday night guy and all of a sudden gets moved to Saturdays. I mean, are the players or some pitchers different at night during the day, than during the day? Because, you know, sometimes you talk about lights. You talk about spin rates. I mean, we we faced a guy up at Oregon a few years ago, 2017, I, and the lights were terrible there. And I think about all those Tuesday night games we played down in the – the Mayor's Trophy game in Jackson. Yeah, the old Smith Wheels. Yeah, man, it could make a pitcher look really, really good on a good night. But sometimes you see those Friday night guys, and then later in the year they end up on a tournament or whatever pitching during the day, and they're different guys. I mean, is is am I reading way too much into that, or some guys just pitch better at night than they do during the day? No, I think there's a – I really do think there was a difference in – pitching at night versus in the day. And, and I will say back to the Oregon series in 2017, I was in the lineup that struck out 18 times that night. So um, I don't remember the guy's name. He was a big leaguer now. Wasn't his, uh, uh, wasn't his name like Drew Peterson? Or was that the cop that killed his wives? <laughs> no, but that was the guy. No, Drew Peterson. No, that was the guy in California that killed his wife. Remember that? Yeah, Lacey. Yes. That was a big story a long time ago. Yeah. David Peterson. David, David Peterson. David Peterson was his name. He struck out 17. Okay, he struck out 17 on a Friday night. It was cold. Charlie, I'm talking about high 30s. It was cold. It was miserable. He struck out 17, didn't walk anybody. Oregon won one to nothing. Connor Pilkington was on fire that night as well. The lights were bad. I'm telling you, it's not a knock at Connor. But this guy struck out 17. They had a guy in the fifth inning who hit a solo home run named Kyle Kasser. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday morning, but I can remember a ball game that happened four <laughs> years ago. But that guy struck out 17 guys that night, and we got back to the hotel, and, and Andy Canizero says, you know, that guy could have been spinning that slider from second base, and we still wouldn't have hit it. And I, that's the thing I remember about that night. But anyway, yeah, that guy was probably a different pitcher at night than he was during the day. Hey, so get back to the scrimmage one second. One of the things, too, that – you know, we saw yesterday was that Rowdy Jordan was playing left and Braylon Skinner, who we've been hearing talk about playing left and maybe, you know, kind of going back and forth with Cumbus to, you know, if he couldn't just outright win the spot, had him in center yesterday. I'm I'm pretty good with that. Um, you, you know, I Rowdy always looked comfortable in left field to me. We didn't see a ton of him in center field last year. But it was clear to me, at least, it looked like a new position to him. I think that's probably a more difficult move sometimes than we give it credit for, moving off the corners into center field. We we tend to, and I think this goes back to Little League, we tend to think of outfield as just outfield. You know, go out there, catch the fly ball. But you get some very different spins, some very different reads, very different angles that you have to take in those different outfield positions. I think it's unfair to kind of judge them all the same. And so I'm not – entirely convinced we won't see Rowdy playing left field before it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. I mean, what's the hardest ball is that line drive that doesn't have any spin left or right that's coming right at you. And that's what you got to play with out in center field. You know, left field, the ball's pretty much always moving. It's, it's, it's you know, it's slicing into you, slicing away from you. You've got to read that. But the hardest ball, you know, that you got to field is that line drive right at you that's not moving left or right. It may be knuckling coming out to center field. Well, I think you've got to make a, a lot more decisions, too, about how much risk you're willing to take in center. You know, if a ball gets behind you and left, it's not quite so far to the fence. There's a lot of area in some of these center fields are going to play in. Well, too, you also have the ability to call everybody off. 
and you wonder, okay, if I'm in left field, I know, you know, whoever my center fielder is, if he can get to it, he's going to call me off. Yeah, I've got to be the alpha dog out there. And and you try to wonder, okay, am, am I taking too much away from that right fielder? Am I taking too much away? I mean, and there's a, a whole lot of guys in the major leagues who are like, call me off, call me off, call me <laughs> off. I got it. You take it. I got it. No, no, no. You got it. You take it. You take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Rowdy at left field. And it looks like Forsyth, you know, was at third. And, again, though, here's one thing I, I guess we should add to all this, though. And this goes back, you know, you and I, Bart, we grew up on Ron Polk baseball. And what that meant was if you were in the starting lineup on day one, you had to work pretty hard to play yourself out of it. I mean, not only did you have the same lineup, you had the same batting order. I remember in 1985 they switched Palmero and Clark three and four, and that was like a big deal because they had the exact same order. You know, you're going to lead off of Van Cleve, then Thiessen, then Palmero, then Clark on down the line. Well – You've seen that change. The other change that we have seen, because you're is based on left right matchups. You know, Ron Polk didn't play matchups back then at all. But think back to when we were kids. You had a guy who was your DH. Period. Yeah. Bobby the, Thickpin was your DH every day. David John Mitchell, Mitchell or was John your Mitchell. DH every day. And that has changed now. And so you wonder too, you don't want to go too far looking at a lineup. Because a lot of it may change if there's a righty instead of a lefty. Josh, you were in a couple of lineups. One, you know, you kind of went back and forth a little bit. And then one where you knew, set in stone, I'm going to be the catcher today. How tough is it for a player to get to the ballpark and when you get to the ballpark really not know, you know, if, if I'm sitting in a trig class across campus, if, if I'm actually going to be in the starting lineup tonight or if I know I'm going to be in the starting lineup tonight, how, how is that mentally for a player? You know, I think it's really tough for – especially the younger player, um, obviously playing baseball at any level, you have to be extremely mentally tough. But when you show up to the park and you have no earthly idea if you're going to be in the lineup or not, it definitely does take a toll on you because, again, the way you prepare um, you know, mentally, what do I need to do to get ready, whether it's you're going to watch the starter for that day for the opponent or uh, what do I need to do in preparation for – I don't know, my body physically to get ready. Whereas if you know you're not in the lineup, honestly, and every baseball player, they're not telling the truth if they're not – they don't agree with this. But anytime you're not in the lineup for that day, you take a completely different outlook on preparation. So, um, you know, I think that um, if you do know every day that you're in the lineup – well, I'll go back to this. When you know every day that you're in the lineup, you're going to do everything – on also off the field that you need to do to, to prepare, whereas your extracurricular activities may be a little different if you're not playing. So, um, you know, for me personally, uh, when I was catching every single game, I, I knew what I needed to eat the night before. You're not eating a chili dog. You're not yeah. eating a chili dog at the at the uh, at the Perry cafeteria that day, is what no you're saying. Perry cafeteria that that day, uh, you weren't getting the the corn dog stand walking into the stadium. Um, so, it's you know it it really. It's all about preparation. For me, it was. I, I was not as talented as everybody else. Now, we had some guys that could walk in there uh, fresh off, fresh out of the bin and be fine. So, I, I think that, um, you know, when we're looking at uh, every day, you, you have a completely different outlook on preparation in terms of off-the-field stuff and on-the-field um, activities. Josh, I'm curious, 2017, you were the, basically the everyday catcher. I think when we look at this lineup, we think we're going to see – probably a guy 
either a Friday-Saturday guy with somebody else on Sunday or maybe split the middle game. But you were catching basically every day. And I remember saying towards the end of the year that I don't think I'd seen a player take more abuse behind the plate than you did because there were a whole lot of pitches that caught dirt before they ever got to you. How did that affect you at the end of the year? Obviously, you know, shout out home run against Southern Miss in the regional that year. All right. But how did it affect you? Did At the end of the year, I knew as a player, when in the time you would have never asked out of the lineup, you'd have never admitted it. But as you sit back and look now, would you have been a better player at the end of the year had you played 10 fewer games? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that the workload has a direct result, especially as a catcher at the end of the year. And you want to be peaking – in June, um, just so you can make a run at the deal. Because, um, you know, everybody's goal is to win the national championship, get to Omaha. That That's the whole deal. Uh, I remember a specific moment when I was speaking with Andy Canizero and Gary Henderson. And, you know, I'd just come off knee surgery, but my whole deal was toughness. That's what I played with. So I remember going to their office and they were speaking to me, what are your thoughts? And, and another thing was – I became a better player when my whole goal was to make the guy who's supposed to come after me. In that case, it was Dustin Skelton. I wanted to prepare him and make him better. And he was probably a lot better than I was, but I wanted to do everything I could to prepare him. But when I went to the office to speak with the coaching staff, they were talking about, Hey, you think you can hold up? And I was like, look, I will catch every game that, I mean, I can do it. It's not going to be an issue. And that was their, their point initially uh, we were trying to be proactive about it and, and catch it before we got to the point was, how are you going to be in a regional? Can you hold up? Well, you know, I, I told them I'm going to do everything physically possible, uh, mentally and, you know, as well for my body to to prepare for the end of the year. And, and I think that, you know, especially when we got to the regional, um, you know, we had a couple of rainouts. I think I caught four games in two days. And we ended up winning the regional. And I never got tired in terms of – I mean, my body was probably losing it. But mentally, I never got tired. I stayed in the moment. I caught every pitch. So, you know, I, I think that it definitely has a toll on you. I think the guys that this year um, going into it, you've got to prepare because the catcher's one pitch away, one foul off away from breaking the thumb or something that I, that affects. So, if you don't catch multiple guys, I, I think if you're looking at it from a coaching standpoint – uh, if you don't catch multiple guys, it's going to be tough to throw a guy in the fire. Uh, I remember when I got hurt that Friday night catching Dakota Hudson, <laughs> we put in Hunter Stovall. He was our catcher that night and uh, who did a really good job. But, you know, I think that it's – He was a catcher in high school. Yeah, he's good. He, he's very, very athletic. Um, so, I, I just think it's good to catch two guys because you've got to get acclimated to the game. Uh, it's completely different from an inner squad. So, I, I think it's good to have two guys ready. Um, you know, whether you want to have a, a one or a two, um, the, your first, second guy. So I, I think that's a big deal is having two guys. How tough is it to adjust? You know, if, if things hold the form and we have no reason to think they will, that's the one great thing about baseball is whatever we say right now, it'll be different by the time we get out to Arlington for the opening weekend. But the one thing you hear about Eric Sarantola is that it's a guy who's still developing. He didn't play a lot of baseball as a young guy. He didn't have all the travel ball innings that some people have. He's still working on command. But the one thing that you hear about him all the time is stuff. Is it harder as a catcher to get the guy with the most stuff, but perhaps the 
biggest struggle with command on that last day of a weekend? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we talked about it earlier. Anytime you're catching the third game on a weekend, um, it's tough because you're tired. You don't want to admit to yourself that you're tired and because you really don't want to lose it mentally because you've got to call a game and prepare for what this guy's going to do on a Sunday. I think with a guy like Sarantola, who, you know, we hear the terminology now, tunnels everything, you've got to be locked in, so to speak, on every single pitch because if you're not, you're going to give away uh, pitches as a catcher. And my whole goal was I wanted somebody, hitters, opponents, uh, other head coaches to say that guy makes everything look like a strike. Uh, If you're – which, you know, this year will be a little different with less fans, but if you're in our stadium – and you're catching, you should want people groaning every time you catch the ball because that means everything looks like a strike. Um, so, I, you know, I think that with Sarantola, obviously he's got a, a real upside for the future. Um, he's going to pitch for probably a long time. Um, I just think you've got to, if you're catching that guy late on a Sunday, because you know Sunday is going to be a four-and-a-half-hour game, you've got to really focus because he's if his command is not there – um, you're going to have to basically meet with him, give him confidence. But if he's painted on the outer half and leaves it arm side, you're just going to have to be focused because you can give away runs as well. So, All right. So I think he hits on a good point, Bart, and this will get us into some of the rule changes that are out there as well. When he talks about the four-and-a-half-hour game on Sunday. <laughs> we we speculated earlier in the week that college baseball may be looking more at what major leagues are doing to shorten games. In – Major League Baseball, for example, what we've seen in the past couple of years is the idea that if you come in from the bullpen, you're there for three hitters. There's and I like that. I like that. Oh, okay. Um, so you're not a fan of the left-handed specialist out of the bullpen then? No, no I'm fine with that. Oh, I can't stand it. I, I'm, look, That's fine. Now, That's fine. I'm one of the few guys who says let's play all afternoon. I don't care. But – that's one of the changes they've made. We've gotten word as of yesterday a few more rule changes. And since you are so progressive <laughs> in your views of baseball and you're willing to throw out, you know, over 100 years of recorded baseball history and standards, I'm sure then that you are pleased to know that we are looking at a new extra inning rule. It's not required, but conferences can require or coaches can agree before the game that once we go to extra innings, Runner goes to second base like we saw in major uh, leagues last year. And I'm glad you brought that point up. And I saw the tweet last night. And first of all, I think this is exactly what college baseball needs. I think it's exactly what college baseball needs. I love the thought process of putting the runner at second. Um, I think to go along with that, I don't think we need to stop there. I think we just need to rip the Band-Aid off. I think here's what we need to do. This is a good year to do it, too, because we're going to have you know, 25% capacity, and everybody's going to be wearing masks in the stadium. Here's what I think. I think before the season starts, let's give each team a list of seven chants, okay? Seven chants and two claps. You know, one's a one's a, a rhythmic clap, the, the you know, the, the, just a rhythmic clap, and one you can change up a little bit, you know. You know what, what, but everybody's got to do the chants, 
and the claps together. And if you're watching on TV, you have a vote. You can vote in who did the best chants and claps that day, and we'll give that team a run. So you want shorts and visors and no. maybe your third base coach wearing a wrestling belt let's or make something? It, let's make it seven innings. Hey, if, if we're going to turn it into softball, let's go all in. Let's, let's incorporate some more sports into it. I say if you can skip a rock across Chadwick Lake, let's put you on a, on a, on a team that can pitch. And if you can bounce a ball in the grass and skip it into the strike zone, you get two strikes. Let's go. Hey, let's let's incorporate a little basketball. Let's play a little cricket. A little cricket there. Let's put some basketball. Talk about Drew Peterson, David Peterson. That guy could throw those curve, those sliders from you know from second base. Let's hey, put him. Who is that guy? The softball guy, the king in his court, the guy that played with like four guys and he pitched from second base. Uh, I don't know. You know, Glenn Moore was one of those guys. So let, if this were an internet put, post, no, no, we'd have a lot of asterisks yeah. by this well, right let, now. I'm taking it. Yes, and let's put a mound. Not a mound. Let's put a rubber. Let's put a rubber at 80 feet. Let's have a three pointer. Let's put a rubber at 80 feet, and if the guy can get a swing and a miss or throw a strike from 80 feet, as three strikes. I mean, let's, so, let's blow it all up. Let's, let, me, let me see if I can propose a middle ground here. Number one, I'm not for it. Okay, so I'm opposed. But let me play the but. The other thing I can't stand is I cannot stand the idea that on Sunday somebody's got a flight to catch, so we're not starting an inning after a certain time. You know, Ranger travel leave Monday. I don't care. Take a bus. But stay to its play. But since I lost that fight, would you agree with me that on a getaway day, on a day where somebody's got to get to the airport and come home, that we could put in a rule like that with that limited exception? I'm fine with it in two cases. One is a getaway day. I'm fine with that. Okay. Um, putting runners at second base in extra innings, I mean, that's – to me, I I, I had it's an op- you trip stuff. It's travel ball. It's travel ball, and and I actually sent four text messages last night to four different college coaches at different levels. Okay, and it's not the guys you're probably thinking of right now. Four different levels, whether it be junior college, small college, Division One. Okay, and all four said this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I agree with you on the getaway day. But I also have one guy that said, you know what, well, you know, what if you're playing doubleheaders, okay? If you're playing a doubleheader and you're playing four games in your conference on a weekend, what about having it in game one of your doubleheader on Saturday? That, that way you don't have a 17-inning game and then you got to come right back and play nine or do it in either one of those games. All right, so here's my pushback on that. And I, I'll play along for sake of agreeing. But I think we're coming into a year where what have we heard about everybody? We've got pitchers. We have bigger rosters. We have the guys. We have so many people who lost innings a year ago who now need them. And if we have to play 17 innings and turn around and play a nine again, I promise you, I absolutely promise you that there are guys in the dugout ready to do it. And if it means some guy who's got the key to the lights has got to stay up a little bit later, and the PA guy's got to work a little bit longer, so be it. And I know some people are going to say on Tuesday night, man, why don't you do it on a Tuesday night when you're playing a non-conference game? To me, that's a separation point in in good teams and great teams or teams that are, are okay and teams that are great is pitching depth. Okay, how, how bad do you want to win this Tuesday night game when you get to the 14th inning? You know what I'm saying? So, Josh, do you like this? I mean, I, I'm not a fan of it either. I mean, I, what I look at is <laughs> the future. I mean, we're in the postseason. What if we're in Omaha or in a super regional? 
a big game and you've got two electric closers that are running at 95 to 97 and they're just going to put a guy on second base. I, I just don't agree with it. I mean, you know, another thing that that's funny too, if you've got a slower guy like me on second base, uh, it's a complete disadvantage. Whereas if the other team comes up the next inning and they've got their leadoff guy that was the last batted out the inning before, it's completely different. I mean, I, I just – it kind of takes away, like you were saying, it's, it's like you triple essay. Uh, it's like, you know, I was coaching Bart's son on a nine-and-under team. and and So, you know exactly what I was talking about yesterday, taking those kids to Birmingham. I mean, you've seen most of those kids, to be honest with you, and so you know the mental state I was in last night when I got back home. Yeah, I feel for you, Bart. I mean, I, trying to control them in a dugout is different, but trying to control them with golf clubs in their hands and not hitting the person on the next bay, yeah, I would I – would, I would uh, think that was an interesting experience. I'm sure you had had uh, had a fun time with that. What did you rent a bus to take them down there? No, we we went in two cars. We we went in two cars. I put I put Jen in there with uh, with with a few, and I, I got a few. And anyway, uh, so let me ask this: What do you guys understand the point of this rule to be? Is it time? Is it making the game faster? Because if it is. If that is the point. Let's play eight innings. Well, no, let's go back to high school ball. Let's have a courtesy runner for the catcher. Let's have a courtesy runner for the pitcher. How many? How much time do we waste on the catcher getting his gear on? All right? There's lots of ways you can speed up the game, and I'm not for it. But here's what gets me, too. He's, you know, you go back and you talk about there is a time of the game that is, to borrow from the ESPN 30 for 30, there's winning time. Like, extra innings is winning time and you are playing under a different level of pressure, and it goes back to what you were talking about, testing what a team is made of, it's different pitching that big guy who can knock one out in the 14th than it is in the 5th. And I just hate to shorten winning time. And, and too, okay, and I, I know we want to get out of here. We usually try to keep these at 30 minutes. But if, if Josh Lovelady is at the plate, Okay, and I'm not knocking Josh because he, he brought it up a minute ago. He said he was not a very fast and swift guy. And you've got nobody on base in the bottom of the ninth, and there's two outs. And you got a guy up there who's absolutely dealing on the mound. Okay, do I pinch hit Josh? Do I, do I take Josh out of the game, and I pinch hit a guy that can absolutely just fly? Because I know if we get to extra innings, he's going to get the he's going to be the guy to go to second base, or when you start the the extra innings. I know I know that's probably stupid, but it, when you start the extra innings, if you got Josh at second base, do you, you have to pull him out? Do you have to? Yeah, you got to pull him. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing. All right, any other rules? You got the pine tar. Uh, you got the pine tar rag. You can put in your back pocket now, don't you? Yeah. So, Josh, you were talking about this. What every pitcher now can carry a rag out in their back pocket, so they. Look, so they don't lick their own hands. I mean, come on. Well, let's all – I'm telling you, what we're doing right now is we ought to allow, after every strikeout, the entire infield to come in and give high fives. We are trying to change the game. And for what, I have no reason and no – I have no – I have no patience in it. So, Josh, okay, now you, you've got to have that rag. Pontor. That's what I'm about to say. Who's going to be check? Or are they going to be checking the bottom portion of that rag for pine tar? Yeah, I mean, talking about slowing the game down, they're going to have to check every guy. Every guy that goes out there with a rag in his back pocket, they're going to have to check for pine tar, 
Gorilla Snot or Crisco. Crisco. Anything. Hey, what's Gorilla Snot? For for people listening, and we're talking to Josh Lovelady. For the for the for the common guy who doesn't understand baseball, what's Gorilla Snot? Gorilla Snot is it, it basically feels like super glue. So if you're catching a guy that's using Gorilla Snot, number one, don't ever give the umpire the ball. Throw it out. <laughs> uh, no, it, seriously, Gorilla Snot is base. It really is like glue. Um, it can make the ball do crazy things. Uh, if you're seeing a guy that's running it both ways with his fastball, uh, he's either extremely talented or he's got some English on it, so to speak, with the gorilla snot. It, it's every time I would throw a ball back with gorilla snot on it, <laughs> I feel like I was going to throw it straight in the ground. I thought it was going to stick to my hand and just go straight in the dirt or the turf that we have it. Charlie, you're the, uh, the aerodynamic specialist. Inform the listener. Of what gorilla snot, and you told me a couple of weeks ago I couldn't say snot on here. Gorilla snot or pine tar, what does that do? Trevor Bauer, that's a hot-button topic right now in Major League Baseball with a lot of pitchers, Garrett Cole, a lot of these guys, you know, and I'm saying that, that it's been you know, said that they're doing this. I'm not saying that they're doing this. But a lot of these guys are possibly using pine tar, gorilla snot, whatever. What does that do for a pitcher? And isn't it funny, by the way, that there's been no greater outspoken voice against the Houston Astros and they're cheating than Trevor Bauer, but I'll leave that aside. What it does is it allows you to put more backspin on the baseball. I mean, it simply allows you to put more spin on the ball, which you go back to why does spin matter. I think the poster guy for Mississippi State of why spin matters was Ethan Small, right? Ethan would throw that fastball that just rode. I mean, just held its plane. It didn't have that natural drop. It gave the view to the hitter that it was rising. And you go and you look at some of these guys and you say, wow, how did they get that much more spin on their fastball than they had a year ago? Well, check the seams of the pants. Let's see what's uh, what's in those stripes down the side. Yeah, it's like RPMs in, in a curveballs too. I mean, that's the thing about Holder. When Holder was coming through is everybody said, man, check out the spin rate on his breaking ball. That's why that guy could be a major league pitcher. And so, yeah, spin rates are a big thing. And some guys have it and some guys don't. They and don't. if you don't, yeah. well, that helps you get it. Josh, appreciate you joining us this morning. Josh Lovelady caught at Mississippi State a few years ago, stepping in the studio with us this morning. Hey, like- final question, though, Josh, just for you. As a fan – you know, we look around, everybody is so excited about this season um, because we feel like we're loaded. Bart and I have talked, I really feel like this is a, a year where a team can go 16 and 14 in the league and be really good. What do you see being the difference this year between the teams that are going to be elite and the teams you think, boy, that's a really good team hanging around 500? I think there's a few things that go into it. I mean, I Obviously, there's going to be a lot of mature players on each team with the, the extra year. Uh, and there's some key spots for the mature players to be, whether it's a, one of your better hitters or whether it's a, a closer. Um, I know I know that has a big to-do because closers can determine the outcome of tons, 90% of the games, and, and that's a win or loss. But, you know, I think it determines how, how mature your players are uh, and – the maturity of those guys that are that are coming back, and then you've got to have some some younger guys that step up. I think the, what's going to separate um, teams in the end in the Southeastern Conference is going to be the late inning. I mean, I, I think that obviously with the rule change of the runner at second base, uh, it makes it completely different. But you know, I'm a firm believer that I don't think the game starts until the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, meaning when the bullpen comes in to play. 
Um, so it, it's going to be an interesting year. I think there's going to be a lot of close games, which are fun to play in and watch. So, um, you know, you're going to – we're going to win some really close games. We're going to lose some really close games. But like you said, it, we may win 17 games in conference and then make a deep run. It just – it all depends on how we play late in the game. I really believe that. So, we've got some mature guys on the back end of the bullpen that um, I think we're expecting to have a good year. So, um, I look forward to that. And so, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have a good year and, and just – stay steady through the whole thing and play well. So, See, Josh, that wasn't too bad. The whole show. I mean, it was, it's nothing. It's just a couple guys hanging out, talking a little baseball. Appreciate you hanging out with us this morning. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, and um, hope we have a great year. Charlie, anything you want to close on? You mad at me about anything I said? <laughs> no, we'll edit it all out later. Okay, all right. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on a Sunday Coffee here from the Southeastern Sports Group Studios, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, and special guest, Josh Lovelady. Thank you all.